welcome to Project Performance. This podcast is brought to you by IADT Radio Society and IADT Students Union. I am your host, Cathy Ann Murphy, and today's topic is the Royal Media. I will also be joined by new media student from IADT, Lauren Kerwin. Again, if you'd like to get involved in this discussion, you can tweet us or tag us on Instagram or Facebook. The word media means the main means of mass communication through the internet, print or broadcasting. The media world has developed over the years, possibly not necessarily for the good, but there has been numerous issues with the media over the number of years, especially when we speak about the paparazzi and gossip magazines and newspapers. Our topic for this week is royal media and we are specifically looking at the English monarchy and essentially performance. Through traditions and customs, the royal family have formed their identity over years of scrutiny and changing times. In this way, it is a performance. Obviously, behind closed doors, they certainly would not act the way they act in public and possibly they are completely different. Certain programs such as The Crown have opened up this discussion about their everyday lives and true personalities, but ultimately we do not know. In this way, it could be the best performance ever, fooling us all. Someone that stirred up this change and pushed the customs into a new era was Diana, the Princess of Wales, and her understanding of how she could use the media to her own advantage. But unfortunately, the hunter became the hunted. In the early 1980s, according to royal author Robert Lacey in A Brief Life of the Queen, the monarch invited editors to the, from Fleet Street to discuss what might be done to alleviate the pressure of Diana was having under the scrutiny of the media. A few years later, the Privacy Act was introduced but didn't stop the paparazzi, especially abroad. We can now see the same thing happening with Meghan Markle and the issues she faces with the media. Evidently, it has become very clear about the racism, sexism and bullying shown in these papers. Yet people still read them, engage with them and ultimately, the royal family also need this attention to stay relevant. As we move into a world of social media, especially more and more at the moment because of COVID, we find it difficult to scroll through the correct information. Fake news pops up on any media form and many are brainwashed with some ideologies that can then be destructive. However, it seems that the ongoing issue that as fans or in regards to state monarchs, almost worshippers, we feel a sense of ownership. There is ownership over their personal information and personalities. It's inevitable that this would be the case if you become someone in the public eye. Quite frankly, it is a whole show, a performance act. From fashion statements to gestures to stay relevant to internet tea. Yet Diana, for instance use this form of performance to sense a greater good or to highlight an issue such as HIV and minefields. In this way, we could reflect as artists about how we could use the media and our own platforms to reflect on the greater good. Issues that we feel passionate about and clearly there will be backlash. 
and we will face judgment on our exterior, be it our gender, background, or possibly even appearance. But if Diana highlighted anything for us, it is that no one is simply a performing seal, and everyone has a right to their own life and opinions. To discuss this topic further, I am now joined by Lauren Kerwin. Lauren is an 18-year-old New Media Studies first-year student in IADT. She has been working as a radio presenter for a year and has produced and sang on a number one Christmas single. She is also highly interested in fashion, music and broadcast media. So hello, Lauren. So I think to start us off, I think it'd be really interesting if you could tell us a little bit about the course in IADT, what it entails. I know you're only in first year, but how are you finding it, especially during COVID and things like that? Oh my God, I'm actually loving it. Like, I know I was kind of, when I started picking my CEO choices, I feel like I definitely should have looked into what I was picking a bit more than I did. So I'd kind of see one thing I liked and then, oh yeah, I'll put that down. So when I actually got into the course, I realised there was so much more to it than what I had thought. So I thought it was just kind of basic media, a bit of journalism. But like now I'm doing like photography and like all these other stuff that I'd no clue about before. And I love it. But obviously with COVID, it's so hard to actually do the practical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, this year we were meant to be doing like a film. So you do screenwriting and then you do filming. But now you're yeah. just kind of trying your best to do screenwriting and hoping that we can do it next year. All in all, I am loving yeah. it. I'm just raging about the practical aspect of it. That's it. Yeah, I'd say like a lot of people, especially in IDT, because everything's so practical, it's tough. It really is. And I think you, you feel like you're not getting the full college experience. So hopefully, fingers crossed, things are better um, by the start of next year. But just a little bit about yourself. So you, in your bio, it says that you've worked as a radio presenter and also produced and sang on a Christmas single, which is deadly. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so basically it was kind of, um just after the first lockdown I came in and I was really struggling with like what I actually wanted to do in college and then like there was just the stress of everything like because I came straight from my leaving cert which I didn't get to sit so I was like oh my god what do I want to do with myself mm-hmm. so I got to the point where I was like right you know there's nothing I can do um we're in a lockdown so I eventually emailed Carla FM and I was like here I'm just really interested in radio and is there any chance I could come in and interview and just like learn the ropes? So they were like, yeah, they let me in and I was there for a couple of weeks and then they offered me my own show. And do you feel like that that kind of led on to your decision then to do the course in IDT? Because as soon as like the change of mind opened, I changed everything. And I was just like, no, this is actually what I want to do. Because initially I had more like journalism based courses down. Mm-hmm. And then kind of when I looked into it more, there were like, old-fashioned and it was like courtroom writing and stuff like that and I was like oh my god I don't want to do that at all so Mm -hmm. it definitely changed my options like I wouldn't have came to IADT if I didn't take the leap and do that yeah yeah for sure and just before we move on to the to the Christmas single so when you obviously you said you you came straight from leaving cert which 
a lot of people did i suppose in, in the last um the last leaving assert a lot of people came straight from school which is a big leap um in itself especially that you didn't have to have the debs and things like that things that kind of progress you into college so how did you feel moving into IADT I guess after just coming straight out of um school how did you how did you find that kind of progression or or adaption into college if it wasn't for the setting that we're in this year it would have been a lot smoother I know definitely in the days before I started college I was so nervous I felt like I wasn't ready at all and I suppose I'd not had to prepare myself for it because I'd been living, like since March, I'd been living the same life. And I wasn't, I felt like I was missing a lot that I should have had going into college. But I think the college definitely kind of made adaptions. Like they had the online freshers week and, you know, it was nice to see that they were putting in the effort that way. But yeah. I definitely, still even now, I feel like it's kind of surreal to me that I am in college. Because I've only been on campus twice since I started, like, that's it. So it's kind of like, it's so surreal to me that I am now even nearly done my first year of college after barely being there. So it's mad to take the leap. And I think there's loads of other people struggling with the same thing that doesn't feel like, oh my God, they are actually working towards their degree. Yeah, it kind of feels like everyone's probably in the same boat, especially with people just in first year going in second year. So it, it's kind of good in the sense that you can all, I suppose, help each other and find support in each other that everyone's feeling the same. But just to move along to your um, single, which is Deadly, the Christmas single, could you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, so basically I was I do like a Monday night show on Carlo FM and it's like kind of drive time. And for me, it's like so out of, not out of my comfort zone, but it's like, kind of you know you're playing like rocky music and you're chitting and you're chatting and like whatever and I just feel like it's a bit of a drag well not a drag like I love doing it but it's like oh my god do people actually want to listen to me but I was on Facebook <laughs> and I saw that there was like this local kid and he's like seven and he needs treatment you know he, he can't speak he struggles with movement and they were like appealing for donations so I just did like, you know, quick, like, you know, give the information. I was like, here, please donate. I donated myself. And then I was kind of thinking about it. So I texted the family and I was just like, here, I want to help. Is there anything I can do? Can you come on for an interview? And they came on and I had an interview and I was talking to um, a host that I work with, Jerry O'Brien. He's lovely. He's like been in the industry. Like I just look up to him so much. And he's like really involved in like country music. So he was like, we should do like Christmas single. And I was like, oh yeah, like sounds class. But I didn't really think about it anymore. And then the next week, Jerry came to me and he was like, I have all these artists that want to work on it. And like, amazing. And like for me, one of the things um, that was like mad for me, I was like the support that I was. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm actually involved in this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um Daniel O'Donnell was writing about it and I was like oh my god like Daniel O'Donnell has it like we're up here lads do you know what I mean yeah yeah. and are you a singer yourself then like did you do singing when you were younger I did sing it in in, like secondary school but like I wouldn't have thought anything of it like obviously everyone wants to be like a star but um (laughs) I never really thought into it and then Jerry was like you have to be on it and Damien he'd be my boss and he was like no, you're definitely going on it. And I didn't really get a choice in it. And I was like, oh my God, what if I'm shocking? And they were like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So um, I signed my bit on it. And then 
at the end we had like a message saying like oh happy Christmas to Coco and that was the charity we were working for and basically in no time like as soon as it released it was number one the country charts on iTunes and it was like so surreal for me because I'm like 18 and I've done all this through lockdown so I'm like oh my god because I suppose when you're in lockdown it feels like so surreal and I'm like, oh my yeah. god, what? it was. Cl- but that's a huge achievement. As you said, during lockdown, you know, because I think every artist, anyone really involved in the arts, is struggling in that department yeah. of trying to find work or trying to be creative as possible. And it's it's really tough. So it's definitely an achievement itself to be able to, I suppose, find. It's not even the, I suppose, the workload. It's finding the dedication and finding the motivation to do it is the bit. Like I'm finding that the most hardest thing is like actually find the motivation to do work yeah and find the motivation to be creative that is like the hardest thing and just a little bit about um the course did you have to do a portfolio an interview process was it was it points what what was the process to get into um it was just straight through straight through the ceo it was just based on your leaving start points so i didn't have to do a portfolio thank god or else i wouldn't have (laughs) i wouldn't have been there yeah, no, that's that's deadly. That's deadly. Just for anyone that that would like to do it, you know, it's brilliant. But um, so if we were going to say about performance, because I ask this question to everybody who comes on the show, is there a piece of performance that I suppose influenced you, um, you that you remember to this day? It could be a piece of film, or maybe is a piece of theatre, dance, a concert, an exhibition, whatever, whatever it may be. Is there anything that kind of stuck with you and kind of influences you till this day? Oh, definitely. Like for me and in the radio, someone that like, I suppose, sparked the interest in me was Joe Duffy. Like as mad as it sounds, like everyone in the country knows (laughs) him. And I don't know what it is. It's the personal part of it for me with Joe Duffy that really kind of brings it to light because it's like it takes away the fact that like they're celebrities in a sense and it's like the personal factor of it which I just love but I've also been like mad interested in music like you know I remember I went to my first concert when I was like six or seven and it was mm-hmm. pink in the Aviva Stadium and oh my god oh, wow. like after that I was just hooked on it but like all forms of media <laughs> I'm like so invested in it at this stage yeah that's that's deadly and I think that kind of will lead us on I suppose to our topic for this week so as the listeners know our topic for this week was looking at the royal family and it's kind of sparked interest in people i think since the crown and especially with season four with diana especially the generations that like my mum's generation obviously knew what went on my generation not necessarily and then generations below me not again so it's starting to spark interest in people to see the media and see the media's i suppose and um, participation in what is the royal family and building up the royal family and their presence and their popularity so i think you know just just in your opinion the first question i would ask you is is that do you think it did come in later and especially with britney spears and stuff like that in america but do you think the media has a right to information and I know like there was a lot of controversy in, in the day of like you know paparazzi and and um, mobile phones being hacked and things like that but what is your opinion on that because I know you kind of mentioned there with Joe Duffy and the personal side so what what yeah what would be your opinion it's one of them things that I'm really tied between because I completely believe that 
people are 100% they should have their privacy and I think there should definitely be a barrier but then you know especially with the royal family like they do put themselves in the position that of course with the times they're going to be sought after by the media so there's nothing else we can expect Mm. but at the same time like where do they draw the line because in general they like to see themselves as a private family but that's from yeah. their own view, but they're on this pedestal. So how can we expect that? But I do think there definitely should be a limit because they are just people as well at the end of the day. But if you take it away from the royal family, I think there does kind of have to be boundaries, but not as much. Like you'd see it here in Ireland yeah. where, you know, recently I've interviewed someone who was like seen as a criminal and I was talking to them and it like kind of, you know, a lot of guard of corruption kind of came up. But I was told when I presented it, like, that could ruin your career purely because I was putting myself in the position of having it, even though it wasn't, like, personal information. But it was still, like, there is this kind of fine boundary, especially in Ireland, that, like, say, in America, we don't have because they have um, journalism rights and everything is free to the public. But here and in England as well, it's very tiptoed around. 100% and just from what you said there about you know there is a sense that the royal family needs the media same with any celebrity same with any artist they need the media and without it you can't actually access the public you can't access um, the people that like for the royal family anyway they're obviously over the country so if they can't speak to their people or communicate with their people they're at a you know they're not there's no point to it you know and uh, similarly you know, especially I suppose with Diana and the likes of I suppose now with with Kate and um with Harry and stuff, fashion has played a huge thing. And I know you have a huge interest in fashion yourself. And the idea that you know media and fashion and I suppose the pivotal points of especially Diana of all the different dresses she chose that obviously her wedding dress influenced wedding dresses for decades after so in your opinion what i suppose in a simple way what is your opinion on fashion in media is it necessarily that you feel like fashion media need to go together do you think fashion is an art form do you think it's a media thing media campaign and we see adverts all the time on on from boohoo and things like that fast fashion all that jazz so i suppose in your opinion what with media and fashion what is, what is your opinion on that? I would say fashion is completely in our form, but it is heavily influenced by the media. So, like, for me, the way I see it is, like, Diana is an icon, and she broke a lot of rules of her time being within the royal family. And then for mm-hmm. me, Kate was just kind of, she was safe by the book. She was stylish, but mm-hmm. she was very safe. She wasn't breaking any rules. And now we've yeah. Megan in the mix, who's kind of breaking her rules. And, you know, she's made it clear that's what she's going to do. And people, like, we'll see it. And for us, it's the thing that, oh, my God, she is breaking the rules. But she's still, like, in our eyes, she's modest. She does look modest. She's not, you know, going out in her pretty little thing dress. She still does look, you know, classy and a part of the royal family. But then we've seen, like, you know, kind of outside rumours that, oh, they're not happy that she's dressing like this. But I suppose in our eyes, like, coming from a completely different world, there's nothing wrong with the way she's dressed. 
Mm. But I think it's just a thing that, unfortunately, I'd say the royal family aren't really up to times. You know, they're following rules that are hundreds of years old. That's it. And I think that's something as well to highlight um, is the fact that, you know, the Queen has done things like, you know, during the Olympics, she did something with um, James Bond. You know, she There has been occasions where they have tried to, I suppose, push themselves forward into, into the new century. Um, William and Kate are clearly going to be the next King and Queen. So they're trying. But at the same time, like you mentioned there, Kate is still playing it safe with fashion, with modesty, with you know, they can't touch each other in public because it's not seen as correct for the royal family. All of these weird rules. But then to bring it to royal families such as like Norway or Switzerland or, you know, as, as kind of th- those kind of areas. There's there's royal families, Monaco, places like that. Um, they're not necessarily the same. And they wear normal clothes. They shop in normal shops. They, the kids go to normal school. And the media then kind of reflect on them as normal people. You know, they're they're people who are like us. And I think that is the downside of the English monarchy is that the yeah. media can't relate to them. So they just kind of nearly take the piss out of them, really. It's the best way of putting yeah, it. So they really... Completely. You know, like, they're on such a monarchy that we don't see as much with other countries at all. Like, if there's mm-hmm. someone who is vaguely like so vaguely related to the royal family they're still seen as like a celebrity they're still wrote about but in other countries we don't have that and i think for england especially the best thing that ever happened to them was harry going off the walls for want of a better word because we saw the human side of them and i mean what like harry you know he's never going to be king say in his own time so he's no reason to really play by these rules. Mm. Like I think that's what's well. so funny as well, is that, you know, like my nanny, for instance, right? She, like we'd be talking and she would say, oh, I got my knee done when the child was born, right? And we're looking at her going, what child? Like all the grandchildren are born, there's no other children. And she goes, Charlotte, as in Princess Charlotte. And we were like, Nanny, like, you're not part of their family. Like, you know what I mean? So, in that way, yeah. it's like, it's mad because they're Definitely. I mean, the media have a way, especially the English media, have a way of zoning in on these kind of people, zoning in on people who, I suppose, have an obsession with the monarchy, and especially since Brexit. You know, they're going to hold their monarchy quite close to them now because that's the only thing they have that kind of sets them apart from everyone else. You know, every other country doesn't have a monarchy they're they're their own country now they have everything they're self-sufficient so um i think the media will probably play up on that over the next few years a lot more um but yeah it's interesting to look at the english media as a whole because like the sun newspaper like everyone knows the sun newspaper is just you know no one believes it but it still sells and still you know it still ruins careers um so this idea of ethics really is the big thing and i suppose the question for you would be ethics you know you, you said you spoke to there with yeah. someone who was was a criminal so it, there was ethics there of how you're going to approach that interview and how you're going to approach the information so i suppose for you do you feel like from working in the, in the radio station and get, obviously getting experience from the course that ethics has come up a lot and do you feel like you know it's it's a learning curve for you and there's a lot more to come with that 
Oh my God, definitely. And I see a lot of people like, they know when they're writing that story, when they're doing that interview, they know that they're going to paint someone out to be someone they're not. And they know they're digging a bit deep, they're putting uncomfortable questions out. They know they're doing it and it is on purpose because they know it's going to sell. You know, it's all, I mean, there's a fine line because you see other journalists and presenters, whatever, that are sticking by the book and they're doing things to avoid, say, controversy because it can go one way or the other. But like, especially when you say about the sun, I just think they're ruthless. I really don't think ethics come into play in either their writers or the management because they don't care. They want their story. But I just, I know, especially with the royal family, I do think they need to take it into considering a bit more. Like, can you imagine, you know, you're having your first child and there's swarms of people outside waiting for you at the hospital doors. Like, I just think it's mental. Like, it's so alien to me that that's the normal. Yeah, I think as well that... I think a lot happened obviously after Diana. There was a lot that came into place to help people, you know, to help the royal family, help people associated with the royal family, that they would be safe and something like this wouldn't happen again. But there's still, like, the reason, part of the reason why Meghan left was because Harry had this fear that the same thing would happen because it was the same cycle. Yeah. And what was mad about it was, like, I did a lot of research before this so I was looking at what Harry said to the family when he said look we're going to move away because of this reason the queen and stuff still felt like you're betraying us yet they don't actually see the issues what was at hand yeah. you know what I mean they don't see that the press are racist the press are are just feeding into I suppose trying to make people think the same thing, make the public all believe the same thing. And it's easy enough after a while, if the public keeps saying the same thing, is seeing the same thing, that they'll start to believe it. Yeah. It's the same with like, you know, now on, on the Instagram for the Windsors, they put up a picture of Camilla and people comment underneath Diana forever. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's <laughs> that's fair enough because obviously if you know, the yeah. situation that's the debate that you hold, but that's not right either because that was a tv show and yes the diana story is horrific and yes what went on was so wrong and she didn't deserve it but that person is still a person and she doesn't deserve the backlash do you know what i mean yeah and there's so many ethics with that and i think it's it's the same if you come back to ireland with um covid you know there's anti-vaxxers everywhere and they're all over social media at the moment and you know you turn on the radio you turn on um you, you look at newspapers and everything's about covid and about cases and about everything that's going on and then the anti-vaxxers are like acting like they've been you know they've got this secret information that yeah. no one else knows about and everyone needs to be told and they get abusive and it's it's actually incredible that you know the media they love it the media you know some media anyway the sun the, the some irish newspapers the independent yeah. things like that they love it they love to feed off that because it causes like controversy it causes just people get scared and there was a lot of that when covid started with media that you know it was nearly like scaring the public oh yeah into, oh my god what is this virus um yeah i suppose like for you because obviously you were thinking you know you were going to go into radio yeah. you, you worked in a radio during the pandemic how did you find that information yourself when people were reporting about covid or you know yourself like because obviously you've experienced in media when you were looking at at newspapers headings and stuff like that could you see 
the false kind of I suppose the false headlines the false information the kind of scaremongering that was going on yeah completely like because I mean I can understand it to an extent because they were writing about worst case scenario because a lot Mm. of the people we have they haven't lived through something like this do you know what I mean and I mean it's understandable to an extent but if you take it to the other hand and there's people like oh it's lies, you know, I'm not getting the vaccine, there could be anything in it. And I'm like, why, like, honest God, I just do not understand, like, where the thought comes from, really, that, like, mm-hmm. the government mm-hmm. are planting information inside you. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. mad, but I've definitely seen it, especially with COVID. It's like, um, you know, you've one headline, and it's just, it's pulled apart so much. And I think it's really mm-hmm. sad because, like, look, everyone has their own views on the government and that's fine. But no one can say anything at the moment without it just being pulled to shreds. Like, and I just, I know, yeah. like, I think it's a part of me that I'm just like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're human. Mm-hmm. They can make mistakes. They're only working on the information given to them regarding the virus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that happens... We nearly all take, we all take like this kind of role, uh, Facebook mostly and social media, we all take this role of being reporters and yeah. being like the experts and we feel like we can post, we, we can post our opinion, everyone's you know freedom of speech, you can say whatever you want to say, but it's coming back to ethics yeah. really and is it right, is it right to kind of, you know, focus on someone and just looking at social media for you as a broadcaster and you know since I started the podcast you know I've I've great interest in podcasts but you know some people would say oh well I like to get my information from Twitter yeah some people would say oh I like to you know I I like newspapers I like magazines some other people say I whatever there's so many different ways of getting information out but do you think the pandemic has actually brought back radio brought back podcasts brought back all of these things that maybe before television um twitter things like that were, were kind of getting rid of yeah completely and i mean the thing is with twitter and i love seeing other people's point of views but when you're working like when you have the new well select newspapers and you've the radio it's you know it's just straight information there's no kind of opinions or it's just it is what it is and I think a lot of people are turning to listen to that now rather than go on Twitter and see, hear someone say well they're going to Magaluf anyway because the vaccine isn't real and corona isn't real do you know yeah. what I mean yeah. and I think that's a nice yeah. thing that we're kind of going back to our roots that way and I think it's shown us a big thing that okay you know information does get skewed a lot when you are getting your information from Twitter you know, and when you are just hearing yeah. different opinions, like when you have the facts, you have the facts. You know what I mean? There's not yeah. that can yeah, change yeah. that. Yeah, and I think we're all missing that kind of sitting around in a pub or sitting around with our friends having a talk. And I think that's what's so great about radio and all now is because I think more people are listening into radio because they're at home. They've, and especially older people, which I think is lovely. Yeah. Older people who don't necessarily have you know a, a connection to the outside world if they have their radio like you were saying about joe Duff yeah. or someone like that they're able to like feel like they're talking yeah and feel like they're in a community which i think is great and probably because you're working in kind of like a community radio as well that you feel like people 
I suppose you're helping a lot of people in that way to stay connected, especially the older people. Yeah, you know? definitely. Like the way I see it now is that, and there is like, and I've noticed myself that I wouldn't have thought a lot. There is a lot of younger people that do listen to radio. I just think they're mm-hmm. way more selective about it than the older generation are. Yeah. But I think younger people have moved to podcasts, which is brilliant. Like, I just love it. And it is that kind of, you know, yeah, with your friends, you're having a conversation and it's nice. And the thing is, and something that I love is when, you know, it's just normal people having a podcast. It's no one hyped up. It's not important. You know, it's not BBC. It's not RT. It's just people having a chat. And I think it's just such a nice feeling around the pandemic. And they're just chatting, you know, but definitely with older people like I know. I can't imagine any of the podcasts I listen to, like that I do listen to, for my nan to listen to. But I know if Joe Duffy's on, she's not going to miss it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now to say is my nanny, like I think, you know, for her, you know, looking at the news is quite scary. You know, yeah. it's scary when you're older and you're cocooning and you're you're looking at the cases. Whereas sometimes with the radio, people call in and they all feel the same, and then they get an expert in to have a chat. You know it's a lot more accessible yeah but just because we're, we're kind of wrapping up here now but i just wondering a question that i ask everyone um on the on the show is because you're an artist and because we're all artists on the show really we all have this idea that you know the arts are undervalued in ireland and it's an ongoing issue but for you what do you think because obviously you came straight from secondary school yeah. so obviously you see you know what it was like in secondary school with the arts what do you think needs to change in the mentality of you know the government schooling um people just generally about the arts going forward after covid oh my god this is something i'm like so passionate about so i think (laughs) that especially you know obviously with covid so many of us are out of work and there's nothing we can do because we're working in completely practical fields so i think Mm -hmm. from the government side there needs to be something in place, you know, funding, whatever, to keep people going because it's not like a job where you get paid every week. You get paid based on the work you do. So if you've nowhere to host your work, you're not getting paid. And yeah. I've seen a lot of people and people that I know that are working in the arts that they're out of pocket by a lot now. And, you know, everything's being rescheduled, but that's not going to keep them living and it's not going to put food on the table. But as well as that, I think Ireland as a whole, we kind of need to have this media revamp that we're kind of seeing on like mm-hmm. social media, but it's not kind of hitting the television, like especially with RT. I was talking to someone about it last night where they said like, it's so out of touch at the moment where we've, yeah, 100%. we've RT and it's loved. And I mean, I completely understand the older generation loving it because it's what they grew up with. But I think for the younger people, we don't have anything to really relate to. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, New Year's Eve, the Waterford Whispers joke just being completely taken out of hand. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she did. okay, yeah, no, I didn't see that. you know how they do like the big New Year's Eve thing on RT every year? Yeah. So they were doing that, but obviously it was all like, you know, in the studio they couldn't have it the way they usually yeah. do yeah. Yeah, so yeah. they invited Waterford Whispers on to do like a segment but there was a joke mm-hmm. made about Jesus and everyone went oh, mad right. <laughs> how dare they take yeah. the Lord's name in vain 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, maybe we need to have, like, and I know it's horrible, but maybe we should have, like, we have RT Junior, we need to have, like, RT Senior or something. I, I'm a fan of Joe Duffy, but it's at the point now that he is a national icon. And everything, mm-hmm. you know, if they have something that they want to do, they'll go to Joe Duffy. It's like, they don't vary, you know, they have what they have mm-hmm. and that's all they want. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen it a lot now where, you know, because of my course, we're studying like Irish media and Irish film. So, you know, we were just chatting in a seminar one day and it was like, oh, your favourite Irish film. And we found out that half of them are actually, yeah, played by Irish actors and set in Ireland. They're funded by the BBC or they're funded from different places. Mm. It's the same with normal people. Joe, normal people, everyone's praising and everyone's going mad for it and great. Oh, like, you know, there's a huge, I kind of touched on this with social media um, in one of the episodes about women's bodies and obviously the controversy that happened with, you know, the sharing of nude photos. And thankfully, there has been laws made, which was great. But... I think it is an Irish thing that, you know, cover up, look modest, yeah. um, all of these things. And it's like, why, you know, why is that still a thing? I think that feeds into media then. And feed, like, I remember there's just, it's, it's funny. I think some of the Irish media controversies or dr- dramas that come up are so petty. So, for instance, Dancing with the Stars girl i think it was lottie ryan i think david uh, jerry ryan's daughter she won dancing with the stars last year right and it came out headings going she studied musical theater when she was five and it's like <laughs> what? she's an actress so yeah. she probably had a history in that i studied ballet when i was three doesn't necessarily mean it helped me win dancing with the stars yeah. it's like petty stuff like why why does that happen? it's like you're trying to find information on people and maybe someone would find that controversial like and i i really don't understand it because they will bash whoever they can but then a few years ago they were given out because love hate was on too early and it was a bit violent do you know what i mean and i'm just like and same with normal people they were giving out about that as well because there was a sex scene in it and I'm like, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's so backwards. And I think we don't see it as much in other countries, but here we like to, you know, we're very pick and choose with what we dig up and what we don't. And I mean, we see it, especially with people that are in the eye who've done sketchy things. Like, now, please don't misquote me on this, anyone. But if Ryan Tuberty did something horrendous, no one would be talking mm-hmm. about it. No mm-hmm. one would talk about it. If someone else did it, if someone from B or anywhere else did it, oh my God, war. I just think it depends on who you are and the power you hold. Oh, the best example is uh, Donal from Kerry who went over and now is in CNN. Donny. Do you know, that's the best example of someone who clearly didn't feel like he could, well, I don't know that, don't quote me on that, but clearly he decided he was going to go to America to be a reporter and not work for the RTE. And look at him now. Do you know, and like Ryan Tubbers, he's zooming with him and interviewing him. Now we only notice him. It's just, yeah, there's all of these moments where you're just like, what is going on? But anyway, we better wrap up because we're just coming to the end of this. But just before we um, wrap up, could you tell us where to find you? Um, tell us, of, we know you're um, you're on the radio on Carlo FM, but um, kind of like, you know, uh, Instagram page, 
Facebook page, Twitter, whatever, whatever you're on. Yeah, so you can find me. My Instagram is at Kirwan, K-I-R-W-A-N dot Lauren. And that's where I post most, to be honest. I did have a Twitter thing going for a while, but I just kind of hack the controversy on Twitter sometimes. I feel mm. like they're just horrible people. <laughs> like, I know, yeah, not, like, yeah. I love reading some people's things, but I'm just like, if I do something wrong, it's definitely going to be outlined on Twitter. So I'll think about that. Yeah. But yeah, my Facebook is also uh, Lauren Carwan and I post a lot on there as well. But that's kind of it for me. And as usual, we will tag Lauren in all of our posts of all her different handles to find her. So thank you so much for joining me today, Lauren. It was great chatting to you. And thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Thank you. All right, guys. And stay safe and keep creating. Thank you.